well, I feel like I, I say this uh, each week to you in some way or another, uh, but this season just continues to go on uh, longer and longer than I, than I think any of us ever expected. Uh, I know a, a few things have been uh, made really clear to me during this last uh, month or so. Uh, God has definitely shown me uh, that I have no desire whatsoever uh, to become a televangelist. Um, uh, it is not easy, let me tell you, it is not easy at all uh, to speak through a camera uh, to you. And, and I'm sure it's not the same listening uh, on your device either. Uh, but we do know through Scripture that God uses all sorts of means uh, to get out his message. And so I'm, I'm believing, I'm truly believing that's what he's doing uh, while we're only able to do church online. And that you're still uh, being encouraged and challenged to live your life uh, more and more for him and his glory. Well, today I want to talk to you about how we can walk faithfully with God through the ups and downs of life. You see, we live in a broken world that is marred by sin. All of us know that. And because of that, uh, life is full of all sorts of peaks and valleys. And these valley seasons, they're unavoidable. We all all are going to experience the effects of this broken world. And the majority of our world is actually feeling that right now in this season with the coronavirus. And so uh, if you can't avoid these, these trying seasons... Um, if they're unavoidable, I think a helpful question that we can ask ourselves is, uh, is my heart positioned or am I in a place where I can walk rightfully and faithfully with the Lord through the darker seasons um, of my life? Well, well, a great place to learn uh, how to do that is through the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, we, we, we see uh, that they are written by people who are just like us. Psalms are written by people who are just like us, who experienced uh, all of life's ups and downs just as we do. And so today, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalms chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. And through it, I hope that we will learn and see what it means to walk with God amidst all that life throws at us. And more specifically, how we can experience joy and peace while we are facing hard times. I really believe that this is a message uh, that every single one of us needs to hear uh, right now. I mean, how many of us right now are experiencing unique levels of anxiety? Uh, How many of us right now are experiencing unique levels of loss of joy? Um, how many of us right now are dealing with unle- uh, unhealthy levels of fear and isolation? Uh, maybe for some of you, uh, you're finding yourself every single day reading article after article uh, about this coronavirus, and you're trying to process through all this constant stream of news, which just makes you more and more unsure, uh, more and more anxious. Uh, Maybe you are, even right now, having a hard time falling asleep at night. Uh, Perhaps some of you are in the category where you're you're watching over your financial portfolio, and it's just going down and down and down. And you're wondering if if this whole thing is going to trigger the next Great Depression. 
Uh, you're concerned uh, about your future. You're concerned about your ability to retire. Uh, you're concerned for your, your small business. And so day by day, you're losing more and more joy. Or maybe uh, you're somebody who's in the category of, of you get paid hourly. Uh, I know several of you in our community are in that situation. Uh, your company has slowed down, <clears throat> or maybe your, your company has stopped altogether. Uh, but rent is still due at the beginning of the month. Uh, groceries still need to be bought. And so the temptation for you right now is to dwell in fear uh, and actually to lose hope. Others of you, uh, you are more vulnerable uh, to this virus, or you have family members right now that are more vulnerable to this virus. Uh, we actually had uh, someone in our gathering whose who's family member in the States just last week uh, contracted the coronavirus. Um, I know for my family, uh, my parents, they live in Orlando, Florida, uh, and they are on total lockdown. Uh, they are unable to leave their home uh, at all. And so, and so maybe uh, you are fearing for your own safety right now or the safety of your parents, uh, the safety of your grandparents, uh, the safety of your children. Lack of joy and loss of peace can take many different forms. We all have the potential to lose our faith and trust in the Lord in times like this. All of us. Um, and we all have the potential to be restless in the midst of our trials. But how can we remain glad-hearted in these valley seasons, in these trying times? Well, uh, enter into Psalm 4 with me. Psalm chapter 4 expresses a, a quiet truth in troubling circumstances. It combines personal lament and strong confidence. It presents a Godward focus in the midst of the storm that leads David, we will see, to lasting joy and peace. Uh, I believe that Psalm 4 is God's kind gift to us in such a time as this. And so through this psalm, I want to show you today four ways that we can find joy and peace in adversity. Uh, four ways that we can find joy and peace in adversity. Um, but before we jump into our first point and into our text, uh, let me give you some background to this. We know that King David, uh, his son Absalom, uh, has rebelled. Uh, you can read this story in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 18. But just a very quick uh, summary. Uh, we see that Absalom, he grows up. Uh, he's energetic, vibrant. Uh, he's, he's handsome, we see in the scriptures. Uh, he has tons of potential uh, as a leader. But he is also very discontent with his lack of power and his lack of prestige. And so in chapter 15, we read that Absalom goes on this four-year quest uh, to sort of woo people to his side. Uh, he goes around he's, and he speaks against David. He, he slanders his father's name. Uh, he, we actually see that he, he begins to, uh, in front of other people, question his father's right to rule and David's capacity to be the king. And so what he's literally doing is, is twisting the truth and he's twisting people's minds for his own personal gain. And sadly, people start to follow him. Well, it gets so bad 
uh, that David, his immediate family, and some of his entourage have to flee Jerusalem um, out of fear for their lives. Uh, And after that happens, Absalom enters Jerusalem, and he is unrighteously declared the king of Israel. But uh, that's not enough for this guy. Uh, He is still not content even being on the throne. He wants David, his father. He wants him dead. And so what does he do? Well, we read that he sends out an assassin squad, if you will, uh, to find his father and to put him to death. And so, somewhere in the, and so somewhere in the midst of all of this, we have David writing Psalm chapter 4. Now, can you, can you imagine with me the heartache of David? Uh, he's, he's fleeing for his own life. Uh, his own son has lied and brought shame to his name. Uh, he's probably wondering if these assassins are going to find him. Uh, and maybe at times, He's questioning, where is God in all of this? And so what does David do? Well, that's where we open our text. We see that David cries out to the Lord, and he offers this plea. This is what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So what is David's response uh, through his adversity, uh, through his uncertainty? Uh, His spiritual muscle memory, if you will, uh, is to cry out to God. That's his reflex. He isn't arguing uh, his case uh, in the court of human opinion, uh, but rather he takes his case to the supreme court, uh, to his God in heaven. And I want to say this as well. Notice that David isn't ignoring or suppressing his his pain or the distress that he feels. Um, He isn't trying to just grin it and bear it. He isn't uh, just saying, okay, I'm going to just keep my chin up and and just fight through this. No, he actually allows himself uh, to lament. He he allows himself to to grieve. He allows himself uh, to mourn. He's allowing himself to embrace his sorrow, but at the same time, he's not staying there. Uh, He isn't just wallowing in that place. Ultimately, what we see here is he turns his heart to God in the midst of his distress, and we see he makes a really bold request. What does he say? Again, he says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. I think this might be better translated, um, answer me, my righteous God. Uh, but, but either way, this statement points to the fact or the reality that, that David knew that God would never turn away from what is right. Uh, he, he knew that God would stay true to his principles and to his promises. And because of that, David knew that he was always safe in asking God to be consistent with his infinite and unchangeable righteousness. So he says, don't just hear me, God, but answer me. You are the righteous God. Answer me. Uh, Be who you are right now. Be faithful to your name. And then he cries out, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me, and hear my prayer. And it's these words that lead us to our uh, first point today. 
How can we find peace and joy in adversity? Well, number one, we can remember God's faithfulness uh, in our past circumstances. If you want peace and joy uh, through tough times, remember God's faithfulness uh, in your past circumstances. David says here, you have given me relief when I was struggling. You've given me relief when I was suffering. You've shown compassion to me. You've cared for me in my past trials. You have time and time again filled my heart with joy and and comfort when grief and sorrow enslaved me. Uh, Like when I faced Goliath or, or when I was running from my life from King Saul. And so David is showing confidence that what God has done, he would do again. He expects God, in other words, to act according to his character. He says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And this, just, this isn't just a request. It's a confidence that God will do what he has always done. And so don't miss that. David's past relief is grounds for his present hope. I'll say that again. David's past relief is grounds for his present hope. Peace in our current circumstances comes from remembering God's faithfulness in our past circumstances. And so in in times and seasons of adversity, like what we're facing right now, all over the world, cry out to uh, to God, go to the Lord, and as you do, uh, it would be right for you, it would be good for you to reflect on the ways that God has delivered you in the past and believe that he will do it again and again and again. Well, then the psalm shifts a bit. Uh, David goes from talking to God to conversing with his adversaries. Sort of interesting. Um, And even though uh, these adversaries, his enemies, are most likely not there to hear these words, he still turns to them or turns this psalm towards them, and he says this. He says, O men. Now, understand, uh, he says this uh, very much so tongue-in-cheek. He's uh, being sarcastic, if you will. He's saying, um, oh, you great ones, oh, great men, uh, you who think, you're, think so highly of yourselves, you who see yourselves uh, as so great and so mighty, uh, I have some questions for you. He says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? Now, uh, understand, uh, David's honor was his place as God's anointed king. He was, we know this, he was called by God to be the king of Israel. And and as a man who, who trusted in God throughout his life, David says, how long will you try to shame me for my faith and trust in the Lord. Uh, rather, you should be showing the honor that is due to God and to me, God's anointed king. And related to that, he asks them, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Uh, you see, David knows these people uh, who have turned against him, they don't love the truth. Uh, They just love their own vain, empty words. That that they've actually made a decision uh, to devote their lives to a pathway 
uh, of life that is simply not true. Uh, They don't see that God is determined to defend David, that whatever harm they think that they can bring against David, it's actually useless. Uh, It's it's a lie. Uh, That's why he says here in the next verse, he says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So he's really saying two things there. First, he's saying, uh, those of you who are against me, know this, you are not in the will of God. Uh, You are mocking and scorning the Lord and his appointed king. And so because of that, surely the Lord is not on your side. And at the same time, David is saying, the Lord is on my side. Uh, God is on my side. He is for the godly, he says. He is with those who truly follow him, who truly follow his ways, and who follow the Lord's truth. And, and I believe that gives us a second point today. How do we find joy and peace in adversity? Number two, we remember that God is in control and that he is worthy to be trusted. We remember that God is in control and that he is worthy to be trusted. And so again, David is reminding himself here as he is talking uh, to his enemies that God sets apart people from, uh, for himself that God loves those who follow him. And more than that, God is faithful to protect, to care for, and to keep his covenantal promises with his children. And so through, uh, though trials and troubles uh, of all sorts may come into our lives, uh, understand who is really in control. Uh, The Lord is the one setting us apart. It's the Lord that is keeping us and bringing us through our dark seasons of life. He is in control. All we need to do is just trust him. Jesus himself said that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God taking notice. So how much more will he and, and does he notice when the godly are enduring trials? And so let's move from, from knowing this truth with our minds to to knowing this truth with our hearts, that if you have been set apart today, uh, you can be firmly convinced. You can know that your soul is safe in the Lord. So the obvious question that comes from that is this. Has the Lord indeed set you apart? Uh, In other words, are you one of the the godly ones in verse 3? Is your hope and trust in the Lord? If it is, uh, you can be certain that not only is God in control, but that you are safe in him. You can trust him uh, right now. Again, we are facing a very challenging season together. But believe, believe that God sees you right now. He sees those who are his. Well, well there's an interesting turn here. David is still talking to his adversaries, but then he, he goes from questioning them uh, to sort of uniquely advising them, to sort of almost shepherding them. I think this shows a lot about David's character in his heart. Uh, he says this, starting in verse 4. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. 
And what we see here uh, is sort of this exhortation to repentance. He says, tremble at your sin. Uh, Be in awe of the holy God so that you will not sin. Or another way to think of this, uh, David says, be angry at your sin so that you will not sin. Tremble before the Lord's holiness and consider that your decisions are, are very harmful or can be potentially very harmful to your very own soul. And so then he calls them to, re- to reflect on that, to, to ponder. He uses that word, to ponder. He's telling them uh, literally to, to slow down, uh, to search their hearts, to get to a quiet place and to just listen. And so this is a serious call uh, to reflection that hopefully would lead these these enemies, David's adversaries, uh, to genuine repentance. Remember, uh, Absalom and his followers, they're in opposition to David, and therefore they're in opposition to God. And in that, uh, they seem to believe that they were right and that their worship was good. But David says, no, no, it's not. You're off. Uh, Ponder what you're doing. Seek the Lord, think rightly, and then live rightly. And at the root of all this, what is it? Well, it's simple. Put your trust in the Lord. That's the bottom line. Trust in God and nothing else. And certainly don't trust in yourself. You know, I I thought about this uh, for us in this season. Uh, What a great opportunity we have right now to do this very same thing. Uh, to reflect and to ponder on our own hearts, uh, to really take the time to consider what we are believing to be true and who or what we are trusting. You know, even for myself, you know, I was thinking about how often uh, I complain about soul, about this like Bali Bali, this busy, busy culture. But now uh, the whole world has slowed down. And so The silver lining to that is that most of us right now, uh, we have the time to truly examine ourselves, to search ourselves, and to discover uh, where are we weak in faith? Where can we grow? Because the, the path to joy and peace is trusting God. And that means being in a place of spiritual health. It means getting to a place where our hearts are right with God. Uh, Well, at this point, uh, David stops. And then in verse 6, he goes back uh, directly to God, and he begins with what I think is a a very human, uh, common question. He says this. He says, there are many who say, look at this, who will show us some good? It's an interesting question. He says, so many, uh, the majority of us ask, who will show us something better? Who will show us a better way? Who might give us some good? And let's remember, this is coming from a place of despair. And I think in some ways, um, all of us do this. Uh, We all groan uh, and long for better days, especially when darkness seems to cover us. You know, aren't we even right now, uh, at least I know I am at times, groaning for better days, like right now, 
Um, you know, there's, there's not much to do at home. Um, like, really, like, how much Netflix can you seriously watch? Um, like, how many um, pointless YouTube videos can you view in this season? Uh, and, and so we're, we're asking, who will show us some good in this season? And David applies this uh, to those who have come against him. The point is, people seek some good. Uh, people search for things that are better. Uh, all of us do. You know, we don't seek lesser things. But David's point in this section is, don't ultimately seek good things. Listen, don't ultimately seek good things. Seek the chief good. And that's going to serve as our third point today. You want true and lasting joy? You want true and lasting peace in the midst of adversity? Believe the chief good is to live in God's presence. Believe the chief good is to live in God's presence. And what David is doing for us here is he's sort of trying to shake us out of these false hopes for better things, uh, for good things, for better days when we're struggling, and instead to plea primarily for the one who is truly good. Look at how he does that. Uh, He says this. It's a great verse. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You see, that is what is truly good to have God's face upon us. I love, I love the imagery here. This is a metaphor that when God lifts up his face and looks upon us, all that he is shines in our hearts because his presence is there, his kindness is there, his, his favor is there, and that will surely fill you with true and solid joy. It will fill you with hope. And so this is the greatest good that we could ask for, that God would shine on us his kindness, that he would give us his presence, and that he would stand by us in our great times of need. Because we will never be truly satisfied if we have anything short of that. And so even now, during the season of life, uh, what are you hoping for Uh, beyond or other than our chief good. Uh, Certainly, uh, staying uh, physically healthy uh, is a priority right now. And and being physically healthy is a really good thing. But understand, uh, physical health is not the best thing. Um, There is nothing inherently wrong with with earning money or, or saving money. You know, money can be a good thing, but it's not ultimately uh, the best thing. And so through adversity, ask and seek for God's presence, for that is where true joy and peace is found. Don't be satisfied with anything else. Well, we're now now, uh, nearing the end of the psalm here. We see that David has has landed in this place of, of peace and joy. His heart and mind uh, mind are rejoicing uh, based on the glorious truth about where goodness really lies. Uh, he's dwelling on the promise or God's promise to be with his people and God's promise that he will shine his face upon us. And then he says this in verse seven, you have put more joy, that's, that's greater joy, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And so David's joy sort of 
uh, plays out here. He says, Lord, you've done this. Uh, Even in my distress, even in my time of trouble, even now you have put joy. You've put your joy in my heart. You've placed your joy in the center of my being. And that gives us our our final point today. Uh, How can we find peace and joy in adversity? Well, we can understand the Lord has already given us his peace and his joy. Understand that the Lord has already given us uh, his peace and his joy. He says, this joy uh, that the Lord has given me, uh, it's more excellent than anything that you could ever imagine. And then he uses this picture uh, of the days of harvest time, when grain and wine were, were flourishing. He's looking at the time uh, right after everything has been harvested, when people were, adjo- uh, were enjoying the fruit of their labor. Um, everyone, you can sort of picture this, everyone is, they've worked so hard, uh, they, they've They've reaped the harvest, and now everyone is eating and and drinking in abundance. It it represents a time of blessing. And to that, David says, God has given me so much greater joy than that season, than what those people have in that moment. The joy that God has given me is so much better than that. You know, it's what he says in Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, you make known to me, talking to the Lord, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He says, with your promised presence, in light of of your favor, in light of your kindness, I am inwardly, in the depths of my soul, fully glad, full of joy. And because God has placed this joy in our hearts, uh, understand that what we are talking about here uh, is circumstance-resistant joy. Uh, Get that. The joy that God gives us is circumstance-resistant joy, which means uh, that there might be outward stress. There might be intense pressures. There might be all sorts of trials and troubles. There might even be a global pandemic uh, sweeping this, the whole world. But the joy God gives, the joy God has given to those who are his, it's internal. And so that means it cannot be affected by our circumstances. See, when you come to embrace Christ, when you come to know the blessings that are found in him, when you truly understand the gospel you will know and experience overwhelming joy. And you can find deep gladness in every circumstance. Well, then here's where we close. With that joy and assurance of God's presence and favor, um, with David's trust in the Lord, here is the fruit of that. We see the fruit of that in verse eight. He says, in peace, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. And this again comes from trusting in God's protection. It's like a, you can picture this, it's like, a, like a baby in their mother's arms. Uh, that baby has no cares in the world. David says, in peace I sleep. And why? It says there, love this, for you alone, 
For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone, Lord, uh, you have before and will again make me dwell in safety. Though I feel alone, and maybe like literally right now, I am alone. I know I'm not alone. Because God, you are with me. And you have promised your presence to me. I know that you're sufficient to protect me and that you can do what nobody else and nothing else can do. You can, you will, and you have given me everlasting joy and everlasting peace. And so let me encourage you in this season, season of adversity and whenever uh, future adversities come, which we know that they will, more is to come after this. When that happens, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Sure, give yourself freedom to, to lament and, and to mourn. That is good and healthy. But then turn to the Lord and remember his faithfulness. And not only that, uh, keep your trust in him. Understand that while things around us may be uncertain, that the Lord is still in control. He knows our suffering. He knows our pain. And so we can be fully secure, uh, knowing that we are safe in him. Uh, in this season, uh, let, let's, let's seek and ask for more of his presence in our lives. Uh, don't be satisfied by lesser good. Don't trust or believe that anything else can give you true and lasting peace. And then finally, uh, I encourage you to understand, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, to understand what you have already been given in Jesus. That for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, you have already been given the full measure of joy and peace because you know Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's John 15, that if you follow Jesus and abide in his love, that his joy is in you and it's in you to the full. You have fullness of joy, which means, listen, listen, you don't have to go searching for joy in this trying season. Uh, you just need to go back to his word and believe again what you've already received. But not only that, Jesus has given us a fullness of peace. And we know, right, that's why he came, for the glory of God, first and foremost. But, but second to that, for the peace of men, for, for you and me, to give us peace. And that's also why he left us, uh, the Holy Spirit, so that we would actually, those of us who know him, that we would actually have peace living in us. Uh, that's why he says in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If you belong to Christ, if you know Jesus today, then you know joy and you know peace. So let's ask God in this season that he would open our eyes afresh to the truths of the gospel and that he would also open our eyes to the, to the vanity of looking for joy and peace in other things. And let's embrace the promise that the righteous God, who has always been faithful and gracious to his people, will continue to be faithful and will continue to be gracious. 
We have nothing to fear, church, in the midst of our storms because we know the author of joy and the author of peace. Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26 says this, and I want to speak this over to you as we close today. This is what it says. It's beautiful. I pray this over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Uh, I love you guys. Uh, I'm for you. Uh, Know that we're in this together. uh, And I'm so looking forward to being with you next week for Easter. Uh, But until that time, go be the church.